Well, good morning. I don't know what that little song makes you want to do, but it wants me to do something. I'm not sure. Hey, welcome this morning. We are in a message series called Chasing Carrots, and we're talking about the constant or the continual pursuit of more. There's always something else. We're always after it. We never quite get it. And if you've missed the first two weeks, you've missed a lot, you can download for free on our website, or you can pick up a CD copy out at our What's Happening Center before you leave today. Today, I want to talk about chasing a carrot that, for me, I probably chase all five of these that we're going to cover, and, um, but I would probably have to say that this is the one that speaks the loudest to me because I have this incredibly unhealthy need to chase perfection. I don't know if you struggle with that or not, but I struggle trying to live up to my own expectations. I struggle to live up to your expectations. I struggle at times to live up to God's expectations. How many of you are honestly, you're hard on yourself because you don't always get it right and that just drives you crazy? Ah, you're in the right place today. You know, here's what's funny, because I know this, even about myself. It's funny that the same person like me that battles with trying to do everything perfect will show grace to someone else who messes up. Like, I don't know if you're like that or not, but like your kids fall short, right, or your friend falls short, and I don't know if you've said this, but I've said this many times, like, come on, don't be so hard on yourself, because like, no one is, (laughs) you do that too. And I do that for other people, but it's like, why do I struggle so much with myself? Why am I so hard on myself? Why do I try to live up to these such high expectations that I put on myself? And when I don't, I have these deep feelings of shame. Maybe you feel guilty, you feel unworthy. And then to top it off, let me just throw in a scripture for you. You can take out your message outlines if you want and follow along, fill in the blanks today, make your own notes. But then you come across a a passage of scripture like Matthew 5, 48, that Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. No pressure there. Like, okay, I feel bad that I'm not. (laughs) And you say, no worry, no one is perfect. And then Jesus said, be perfect. Just... God, I mean, just be like God. Never sin. Never have a bad thought. Never look at someone else critically. Be perfect. As a parent, be perfect. Husband, be perfect. Wife, be perfect. No pressure. Listen, dealing with this pursuit of perfection, trying to be the perfect man of God, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, having the perfect home with perfect kids, have a perfect career? You try to pull off the perfect surprise party? Getting the meal to turn out just perfectly because people are coming over? It's got to be the best I ever did. Praying an hour and a half in the morning? Doing your Bible reading, doing your Bible journaling, volunteering at school, giving baths, reading to your kids? Putting together the perfect presentation for work? kind of pressure we put on ourselves, don't we? Can I ever win? I feel like that hamster on that wheel chasing a carrot. When do I get to take a break? Listen, if I get a little wound up today, it, 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 it's because I struggle. I put unrealistic expectations on myself trying to live up 
to what I believe God wants of me or what I want of me or what other people expect of me. And so do many of you. Listen, if you battle with this pursuit of perfection, chasing that carrot, it wears you down. The number of photos you have to take before you put it on Instagram or Facebook to be just right. I swear there's some people I have on Facebook, they never take one photo without posing. It's like, why? Why do we work so hard to sell everybody on an image that we've got it all together when none of us have it all together? (laughs) But we work so hard, and listen, I'm not pointing fingers because I've already told you this is a big deal for me. And trying to do everything so perfectly all the time, working so hard at that, and feeling like a failure if you don't get every detail right, do you know that can actually be an enemy of progress? Like people like us, you be, if you can't do anything perfectly, you're like, why even try it? And so I'm not even doing this. <laughs> Many of us have this problem. There's hope. So stay tuned. Before we get to the hope, let me make you feel worse. <laughs> I want to share with you three different types of perfectionists. <laughs> you might not even know. You're just like, I was a perfectionist. Yeah, but there's three types. You might be one or two or all three. So it could be bad or it could be worse than you thought it was. But let's look at these. The first one is self-oriented perfectionist. Self-oriented perfectionist, those of us that put expectations on ourselves. If that's you, you tend to have unrealistic high expectations of, your, of yourself. You tend to have real struggles with guilt. You obsess over the point. You obsess so much that you get inefficient. Because if I can't do it right, I'm not going to do it all. Or you put it off because you don't know if you're going to pull it off perfectly, and so you just keep pushing it off. And you have these deep feelings of inadequacy, like I'm just inadequate. I struggle. i got to live up to my own standards. i got to live up to other people. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I'm not perfect. The second type of perfectionist is the externally oriented perfectionist. (laughs) This is what you believe others expect of you. If this is you, get this, you believe others expect you to be perfect. And so you feel the pressure. You're just convinced other people expect you to be perfect. I struggle with that. I hope hope it's okay. I hope I do my best. I hope it's okay. And what that causes people like that to do is you'll make fun of your work ethic or your appearance or whatever, be, totally as a defense. It shifts the attention. You, you feel very depressed, you feel very secretly desperate, because no matter how you try, you're never ever gonna be good enough to live up to your idea of what you think others expect of you. Does that make sense? It's crazy. And then the third type of perfectionist is the others-oriented perfectionist. This is when you impose your expectations on somebody else. If this is you, 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 uh, you expect others to live up to these impossible standards. Your problem is that you lack empathy. And because you lack empathy, you often tear other people down. You use abrasive and demeaning humor towards those who don't meet your standards. Some of you had parents like that. 
Some of you are parents like that. I don't know if you recognize yourself in any of one of these three categories, maybe in two or three of them, but what I want to do is I want to talk about the spiritual side of perfectionism. The spiritual side, because a lot of times perfectionism is a psychological issue. We know that. It's in the head, but it's not just there. It's also a spiritual issue. It's also a spiritual issue, and I'm going to talk about that. It's a very real spiritual problem, and it covers up, get this, insecurities and our own sinfulness. In fact, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, remember Adam and Eve in the garden? When God put, made Adam and Eve, they were the only two people around, and the garden was perfect. They didn't have weeds to deal with. They didn't have mosquitoes. I'm convinced they didn't have hot summer temperatures. It was perfect. It was like 55 all the time. It was amazing. They were naked and unashamed. Remember that? And then what happened? They sinned. They went against what God's standards were. And what happened immediately? They covered up. They made fig leaf coverings for themselves. Why? There was something in their mind when they went against God that said, wow, you know what? Maybe we cover up, people won't... God won't know, like, I'm going to cover up my imperfections, my insecurities. All of a sudden, it was a new world that they were living in, and they didn't like it. So they covered up. Moses did very similar. Remember Moses? Old Moses went up to the mountain, right, and experienced the presence of God. And the Bible says that the, his face, Moses' face, when he walked away from this interaction with God, his face face was shining with the glory of God. But what did he do? He put a veil on his face. And I used to think that he, of course he did. He put a veil on his face so that people wouldn't be blown away by the glory of God that was shining from his face. But that's not why. You know why he did it? Because he wanted to hide the fact that the glory had already faded off his face. He didn't want people to see that it already faded because he's not perfect and neither am I and neither are you. And so this perfectionism, right, we have a way of trying to cover it up with perfect photos. We try to give people that our homes are perfect, but we just say, don't open that door. <laughs> like, we worked really, really hard to do this. Like, don't go in there because we want to cover it up. So what do we do? It's a spiritual problem. And if it's a spiritual problem, then that means we can let God solve that and let God address that instead of trying to do it our way because our way doesn't work. So what I want to do this morning, I want to be as clear as I can. I want to share with you from the book of Romans how it is that we're actually made right with God. And I just encourage you to stay focused today because this today could be so freeing for you. And I pray that it is. This is what Paul said, speaking directly into the spirit of craving for perfectionism that they had that we have. He says this in Romans 3.20. You need to know the context. For no one, no one, no one includes you. It includes the person sitting next to you, on your right, on your left, in front of you, behind you. No one in the Greek. You know what no one in the Greek means? It means no one, nobody. <laughs> it means None. No one can, get this, can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. You know what that means? You'll never measure up to God's 
standards because you're not perfect. You don't have the ability to be perfect. Notice this. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. You say, oh, I thought the purpose of the law was to show if I could make it. Like, did I do these and I didn't do these and I get right with God? No, 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 no. He says, that's not it. You can't live up to that. No one can. The law is simply there to show you how imperfect you are, how sinful you are. I thought about that, right? Like some people, I just try to live by the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I'm like, do you know the Ten Commandments? Like, how you doing on those? And if that doesn't get crazy enough, which I'll show you how crazy just that is, just those ten, do you realize if you were a Pharisee back in that day, you didn't have the Ten Commandments? You just had 613 laws you had to abide by. You think ten are bad. Like, let's, let's just do this. This will just be fun. The first commandment, you know what it basically says? Don't ever put anything or anybody ahead of God. <laughs> eh. I lose on that one. <laughs> Don't ever covet. I mean, you want something that somebody else has. <laughs> Don't ever lie. <laughs> what about white lies? <laughs> God didn't give any colors of lies. <laughs> How you doing? We're only through three. There's 10. How about 613? I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, I get it. Okay, God, you're right. Okay, I'm not perfect. But why do I work so hard at chasing that perfect carrot? Then you have the other side of the group, right? If that's not you, then we, we, live, in a, we live in a world today that says, uh, did he just say I'm a sinner? Who are you to judge me, right? Don't tell me I'm a bad person. Not a bad person. I'll show you bad people. Don't judge me. Don't shoot me. God, we're all sinners. No one measures up to God's standards. No one is perfect. I'm just telling you the truth. You want to know the truth about you? I can tell about you because it's about me. You're jacked up. You're screwed up. You're a bad, sinning person. That's who you are. So is my wife. I mean me. I mean me. <laughs> So am I. <laughs> you know why we have to laugh about that? Because it's true. That's all of us. We're messed up. But we come across, we put on so much stuff to try to act like we got it all together when we're around certain people. Wouldn't you like to get out off of that hamster wheel and quit chasing something that God says you're never going to do it and everybody knows it. But I work so hard so they don't know it, but they know it. They know it about them because they know it about you and it's true for all of us. Aren't you glad you came today? I'm not here to tell you how bad you are but it's important that you know. You know why it's important that I know and that you know that we're all sinners? Because until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for the Savior. If you think you're living a system of religion that somehow you're gonna earn to be in the presence of God, you couldn't be more wrong. No one, no one 
measures up. Well, then is there any hope with me getting right with God? There actually is. I pray that if you even have heard this a hundred times, that you hear it today with fresh ears. How are we made right with God? It follows up in Romans 3. We're going on. Let's look at verse 22. Paul's still speaking that just told him you can't get right with God by doing the law. The law just shows you how sinful we are. Verse 22. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, who was perfect, by the way. He's sinless. He was perfect in every way. When we put our faith in him, we get credit for his perfection, which is a good thing because we can't be perfect. We're made perfect with Christ and made right by placing our faith in him. And that's available for everyone who truly believes and receives him. No matter who you are, no matter how bad you think you are, you qualify for his perfection if you choose it. How are you mate with Christ? It's not Christ plus the Ten Commandments. It's not Christ plus 100% perfect church attendance. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's just Christ. It's just him alone. He's all you need. And when you receive him, you're perfect in God's eyes because Christ, who is perfect, lives inside. That's not about perfectionism. It's about the grace of God. Do you see the difference? We can't earn it. It's a gift. It's grace. It's provided totally by God. Now, I want to contrast those two just because if your mind works like mine, you need to see it. So on the back of your note sheet, it says there's a list for perfectionism and one for grace. It'll also pop on the, on the screen. What is perfectionism? Perfectionism, get this, it focuses on what I do. My performance, my effort, my religious works. Grace on the other side of the column focuses on what Jesus has done, what he's already done for you. It's his righteousness, it's his goodness, it's his perfect work, because I can't be perfect. But perfectionism focuses on me. Grace focuses on him. Perfectionism, number two, is all about me. My work, my effort, grace is all about Jesus. Two completely different focuses. Perfectionism believes if I obey good enough, God will love me. If I do enough good and don't do enough bad, God will owe me love. He will love me if I perform good. Grace says what? So much different. Grace says, because God loves me. <laughs> because God loves me, I choose to obey. <laughs> I choose to. I'm not obeying trying to win his affection because I can't. Perfectionism says, I got to work to win God's approval. I got to perform. I got to do enough of this stuff to win God's approval. But grace says, because of Jesus, I'm living from the approval of God. I've already got the approval because I gave my life to Christ, and he is in me, and I am in him, and so I'm living from it. I just There's freedom there. I'm not trying to obtain and chase the carrot. The carrot's all mine. My God gave it to me. He gave me right standing 
through his perfection, so I'm just living from that. It's not by work so that no one can boast. It's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And and listen, because of that, if you really understand it, because of that, if you're in Christ, the pressure is off. Be free, walk in it, embrace his grace. It's so refreshing. So why are we people that live so hard and put so much pressure on ourselves to perform so that people think, man, they're good. If we truly understand this, it shouldn't just change the way we think. It should change everything about how we relate to every person in our life. It should change how we live. Because grace takes the pressure off. And what I wanna do is I wanna give you two thoughts of application today. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to your soul on one of these or both of these. That you wouldn't just have it in your head, because I have it in my head. We need to have it, not just a head knowledge of understanding God's grace, but that it would filter into our lifestyle that we could just live freed up because we so clearly understand how we're right with God is not about our performance. It was about his. So here's the first one if you're taking notes. This is really personal to me because I so want to live this out day by day. Choose people over perfection. (laughs) Choose people over perfection. You see, because of Jesus and his goodness, the pressure is off. That means I get to choose people as a priority over perfection. I get to choose relationships and the depth of connection instead of performance. Trying to show people in myself that I'm perfect, because I'm not. We're gonna go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. This is the best story that I ever know about is Mary and Martha, uh, who are like many of us. Martha was wigging out. Martha's like me, she's a perfectionist. Jesus is coming to their house and everything's gotta be like good. You know that, right? There's certain people, they're family members, you could care less. You're not doing a thing. (laughs) Somebody else is coming over depending on who they are, right? Like the pastor might come over, right? Oh! I just heard that this week. Somebody said, no, I ain't inviting him over here. Anyway, different, whole different story. But if Jesus was coming to your house, <laughs> you're cleaning things you didn't even realize were dirty before, right? You're putting everything in its place. That's Martha. Martha is wigging out. Everything's got to be, and we're planning a meal. And isn't it funny how when you have somebody really over important, you try to make stuff that you've never made in your life before, and then you put the pressure on it's got to be perfect? right? All the dishes have to match. The silverware has to match. You know what? Paper towels aren't good enough for napkins. You got to pull out cloth things. You're like, I don't even know how to. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That's Martha. That's me. And her sister Mary's not doing it. Her sister, Jesus shows up. Martha's still wigging out. She's trying to get everything to turn out just right and it all be timed right and all to be, and, and Mary goes, her sister goes and sits down with Jesus. She's just sitting in the living room chilling, talking. 
Martha's in there frantic. She got sweat running down her face. She's going crazy and she gets so angry inside because she can't figure out why her sister isn't doing what she thinks her sister ought to do. And so finally she's losing it and she's like, Martha, yeah, why aren't you in here doing this? <laughs> Jesus, my dear Martha, listen to his words. You're worried and upset over all these details. You can almost hear him saying, like, you're, you're worried about all this stuff, and, and it doesn't really matter, and I don't really care. Martha, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary, your sister, the one you're ticked off about, the one that you think is a bum because she's sitting there listening to Jesus, the one that's focused on me right now, she's discovered it, and it will not be taken away. She's focused on the right thing. It won't be taken away. You know what he's saying? Choose people over perfection. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, but did I get everything right? No, you didn't hang out. You didn't spend time with me. You know why the reason this is so meaningful to me? Because my wife and I, through the years, we've had these discussions over and over and over and over and over and over because we don't really argue. We don't get mad at each other because you know, I'm the pastor and she's the pastor's wife. So we just have these discussions. <laughs> And one of us is more of a perfectionist than the other. And one is much more loving towards people, just naturally. Oh, that's who she is. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know what? Honestly, I want to be more like her. If you know my wife, you might want to be more like her. I wish I was. And I'm like, well, man, God didn't wire me that way. And then it's like, no, God didn't wire me the way I am either. Maybe, maybe I'm just weird. I'm just sinful. Like I'm chasing carrots that I'll never get. Maybe that's the truth. It used to be, you come over to our house, man, everything was going to be perfect. You know why? Because we kept it almost that way all the time, except those certain areas. And everything's going to come together, right? Because that's just what we do. That's not necessarily true anymore. Now, granted, I still like a house that's nice and neat and all that, but I'm working on this. I'm not, listen, I'm not there. But in Christ, I'm already there, and it does, he doesn't care. You come over at our house now, we got grandkids. <laughs> There's stuff. Like, even if we had it perfect, like, after they're there a few minutes, their stuff. And, and listen, some of the stuff that used to drive me nuts, I can't lie and say it doesn't bother me at all, but I'm a work on this. But you might come to our house and it's, listen, there's candles going because we're covering up stuff, smells. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now they're... There's diapers in the trash, right? And they ain't just wet ones. You might go into our bathroom and there might be pee on the ring of the seat. It's not for me, I've got experience. But you come to our house, you know what, I'll tell you this. Yeah, we'll still cook. We'll still have candles out, because my wife and I love that. You'll see warm lights. We love Christmas. The more lights, the better, warm, homey. Our house feels homey and warm. That's our deal. But you know what we really focus on now? Loving the people that come into our house. They don't care about all the details. 
I might still wrestle with the details, but they don't. I'm working so hard on putting people before perfectionism because I get tired. Don't you? What if we cared as much or more about people than we did about the image of trying to show people we're perfect? That's what we're working on. That's mostly what I'm working on. But seriously, it's a real deal, isn't it? It's a real deal. People over perfection. I hope this speaks to your soul. Because in Christ, if you're in Christ, the pressure's off. And because of that, we can choose people over perfection. The second thing is this. Because the pressure's off, we can actually choose perfect love over perfect performance. You're not going to perform perfectly. We work so hard, but what if we chose perfect love because we're freed up in Christ? What if we chose perfect love? Why does this matter? Because if you have this spirit, if you're chasing this spirit of perfectionism, you know what it is? Remember, it's a covering like the fig leaves, like the veil on Moses' face for our deepest fears, our insecurities. That's why we try to put the perfect image out there, the perfect photo. We take it 10 times to get it just right. It's why we work so hard on presenting our home or our job or whatever it is in such a way. We're a fear of being judged. We don't want the shame. And, and we think that's what people expect because we kind of expect that. But it's a sinful covering. But you say, whoa, 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 whoa. But didn't you read Matthew 5, 48? Jesus said to be perfect. Well, I didn't read that perfectly for you the first time because if you don't know the context in which a verse is written, it can say something completely different. So let's go back to that passage. It's important when you're reading Scripture that you understand the totality of what's really being said and the context of the phrase in which he said to be perfect. Can I tell you this? It's not about performance at all. It's all about love. That's the context. Listen to me. It's all about love. It's not about our behavior. It's our response to God and his love and then in tune loving others. Let's look at it again. You've heard that it was said. Here's the context. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which most of us would say sounds right to me. That's what I do. But Jesus said, but I tell you to love your enemies huh? and pray for those who persecute you. No, we want karma. Karma's crap. If we got what we deserved, we'd all be an ink spot on the floor. What if God gave you what you deserve? He said, this is all different. If you love those who love you, get this, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, we're the worst of the worst of that day. Aren't those people even doing that? It's all about love. He says, be perfect, it's a love thing, Therefore, your heavenly Father is perfect. He's not talking about our, our behavior, our performance. He's saying being perfect in love like your Father is. That's why everybody loves people that love them, that treat them good. He said, I'm saying love your enemies. Pray and bless those that persecute you. He says, I want you to be perfect lovers because of watching me and my love that you've been extended, that you don't deserve you simply export what I've given you. 
the word in the Greek that's translated as perfect doesn't mean to be perfect in performance. It be, needs to be mature and to be made complete. It's like when Jesus hung on the cross and he said it is finished. It was all done. It was the whole thing was complete. What Jesus was really saying to you and I is love. You've been taught to love those who are nice to you and hate the enemies. He said, I want you to love, get this, everybody freely like you've been loved by me. I want you to reflect my love being you're a recipient of my love. Be perfect in how you love. Be mature and complete in your love. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to worry about your performance. I just want you to grow into the perfect love that I've given you. finally dawned on me that the reason I work so hard to perform is because my deepest fear is that I'll always be inadequate. I'll never be a perfect dad. I'll never be a perfect husband. I'll never be a perfect grandpa. I'll never be a good enough pastor. I'll never be all of those things. So my mask is to perform to get it done, to push it, to try to win everyone's approval, to stand out and be successful. Might be painful, but I'm willing to do it. That's not my calling. That's not your calling. Our role, our assignment as God's kids is not to convince the people around us how good we are. Our role as children of God, people that have received this loving gift of grace, is to show people how good our God is. It's not to point to me and say, look how good I am. Look how good I did. Look at how good my, look how good God is. Let me tell you how amazing he is. Yeah, I know you're not perfect, neither am I, but let me tell you about a God that says that's okay. That's why I love you. That's why I provided what you couldn't provide for yourself. That's why I sent my son to die so you don't have to. It's freeing. I tell you about kids for a second. Our youngest grandchild is a girl, Rowan. She's a cutie. We call her Roro. Roro's 10 months, 10 and a half months old, and Roro is just about to walk. <laughs> it's so amazing. She'll stand up, she'll hold on to stuff. She wants to, but she hasn't taken a step. I am so looking forward to her first steps. You know why? Because they do it, it's like a drunk Frankenstein. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. It's like, you know what I mean? And they fall. And when they fall down, you know what you don't do as a grandparent, as a child? You pathetic walker. I don't even think you're worthy to be in this family. You see all of us walking? We don't look like that. What is wrong with you? We don't do that. You know what you do? You pick them up. You steady them a little bit. And you say, oh, you did two steps. We can do it again. And you celebrate. And then they, right? And they do that kind of funny God has a sense of humor you get like 80 or 90 and you do the same thing but anyway 
that was, that was free. That was free. But you know what you do? Does that ever change the love that you have for that kid? Absolutely not. Your heavenly father is not looking for you to fall and withdraw the love, his love, because you've fallen short. He cheers you on when you take a couple of good steps. You know why? Because love isn't what God has. It's who he is. Step into that. Breathe that in. Let that sink into your head and your heart and your soul. Love is who he is. He takes the pressure off. You don't have to win his approval because you can't. We're already approved when you've received Christ. And now because we're already receivers of it, we get to respond. And we get to choose people over performance. We get to choose people over perfection. We get to choose perfect love over perfect performance. We get to. The pressure's off because of him, our loving, heavenly Father. Would you bow your heads, please? Let's just soak it in for a second. You and I cannot, no one can earn God's favor. You can't perform your way. And then he says, oh, now I will love you. Now. Now I love you. Finally, you made it. You can't. But if you're in Christ, if you know for certain that you've given your heart and your life to Christ by faith and you invited him in to your heart as your Lord and Savior, you have it. It's called grace. It's a gift. You couldn't earn, you couldn't deserve, you never could, you never will. But it's yours. You don't have to perform. You don't have to put on an air. You don't have to get distracted and wear yourself out on that hamster wheel chasing that carrot of perfectionism. You just get to take it in. Just breathe it in. He's proud. He's got a picture of you, every one of his children that gave their life to him. He's got a picture of us in his wallet. He says, that's my child. They're not perfect on their own, but they're perfect in me because my son died for them. Listen, if you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you might say, oh, I believe in God. I've always believed in God. That's not what we're talking about. If you're on a religious trail, you're thinking, oh boy, I don't know. Boy, if I died today, would I go to heaven? Boy, I hope so. Listen, you can know so. If, if you're not sure, you know what that tells me? That tells me you've got some kind of religious system in your head and heart. And you're just hoping someday you make it. You're hoping that when you die, that God would maybe put the good on one side and the bad on the other and hope the good tips the bad. Listen, I believed that for years. That's not the gospel. I'm telling you right now, no one can earn God's approval. You'll never earn your way in. 
It's simply by receiving the gift, his gift of grace, by inviting his son Jesus, who was the only one perfect, into your heart by faith and receiving him as Lord and Savior. And you can do that right now, and it'll be the best day of your life. And then you can live from that approval and not for it. That's you right where you're seated. Make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I'm broke. Even though I didn't realize I was, I've been trying to earn your approval, and I realized that I can't. But it's okay. Because right now, God, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. As best I know how, I invite you in as my, to my heart as my Savior and my Lord. Adopt me into your family, as your word says, and give me that amazing gift called grace that I can't earn or deserve. It's just free to me, but it cost your son his life. <laughs> and from this day forward, I'm yours. That'll never change. I want to live from that. I want to learn to love. I want to choose people over perfection perfect love over perfect performance. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus.